Welcome back to the Trusted Visions weekly podcast series. We're very excited for this month to go back to our mini segments covering a larger segment of the business that's important for you to understand. Stacy, great to have you back. I, I love these doing these with you. Um, we're going to stick to the 10 minutes so John doesn't yell at us. I'm glad you're not wearing your Iowa shirt because he got a little upset. He's some Texas guy that, you know, is, is oh, are you wearing Iowa? <laughs> exactly. John can't win in everything. Exactly. So John, John can talk about time limits. He can't talk about what we can and can't wear. So uh, I am in West Yellowstone, Montana for our audience. I have to say, if you can ever make it to Montana, we've been to 19 states and this is by far the most beautiful state that I've ever been to. I did learn a fun fact that Montana has the biggest temperature swing in a 24 hour period where one day it was minus 50 degrees. The next day it was 49 degrees. So fun fact for everybody to know, but this month we're going to cover an important topic that I think a lot of advisors, OSJs forget to think about is just five or seven years ago, we had over 5,000 broker dealers in this industry, Stacy. Now we're a little over 3,000 broker dealers. And that consolidation is only going to continue. And not saying consolidation is bad by any means, but it's important for you to know what to look out for and what to do if your broker dealer has been bought or sold. And, and so I'm going to rely on you, Stacy, given your experience here with, with this first question. And we're going to dovetail this into several segments throughout this month of different topics within the consolidation of broker, the broker dealer space. But one thing I'd like to ask you, Stacy, is, and I can certainly piggyback on, on whatever you say, is when a broker dealer or a network of broker dealers has been bought, I think we've historically found throughout our time in this industry, it's always the same story of, you know what, we bought you, everything's going to stay the same. The people you have relationships with are still going to be there. We're not going to roll you up into one. We're not going to look at going public. This isn't an equity event. It's all about scale, um, which for the most part, that's pretty accurate in terms of the scale side of it. But can you speak to our audience for both the OSJs and the individual advisor, Stacy? of historically speaking, how much of that is truth versus mistruth when it comes to being acquired? I think uh, the saying is the devil's in the details, right? And that's really what we got to look at and ask questions on because there are types of business maybe because one of the promises you're going to hear is you don't have to repaper. So I think the question is, what type of business are you talking about? What type of business is your office or your enterprise group being impacted on? Direct business, brokerage business, fee business? Is the REA changing? Does the broker-dealer need to get the new account forms all entered again to make sure they have all their legal legalese agreements uh, in place with the broker-dealer? I think those are types of details that you've got to be asking and looking at um, because it could be that a type of business doesn't have to be repapered, but your book of business is absolutely going to be impacted. The other devil in the detail item is going to be time. So there could be a period of time where, yeah, it's not required to repaper that they allow to come over, but only for a certain point, right? And then they're going to come back and request that, hey, you do get new new account forms signed or you do get fee agreements in place with the new REA. So I think it's really important to ask detailed questions versus going with just the surface answer. 
um, because they're going to tell you what you want to hear. Yeah, and that brings up a good point. I mean, we understand, and, and we've seen several of these examples, and to our audience, if you want, we're not going to mention any names or or any of that, but if you want actual examples, feel free to reach out to us and we can talk through it. But we've seen it several times, historically speaking, where, hey, we're not going to roll you into our existing broker-dealer. We're going to keep everything the same. The reality is, from a economies of scale standpoint, the likelihood of you getting rolled up into one is is pretty high. And, and so, again, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It can provide you with additional services and support, but that process is going to be very bumpy, not only for you, but your clients, because you're going to have service disruptions while they figure out rolling systems into one, as they figure out rolling staff into one, who's going to go, who's not going to go. I mean, unfortunately, some of leadership typically leaves. I mean, I've been with firms where the majority of leadership did leave predominantly on their own, but some of them, they were forced out. And so you have to understand that it may not happen day one. It may not happen in three months, but the reality is they're going to, whoever the acquirer is, is going to do whatever's best for the investor, the end investor, whether that's private equity, whether that's venture capitalists, whether that's to go public, those shareholders and those equity owners are first and foremost priority. Is it right? Not necessarily, but the reality is they're the ones that are expecting a return on their investment. They're not buying your broker-dealer to necessarily just make it better for you. They want a return on their investment. Well, you can't keep you know five back offices if you're trying to get to economies of scale. Um, so that, that's one thing to understand is it's important to work with consultants like Stacy and I at Trusted Visions to understand what this – acquisition means to you, your clients, and even your advisors within your group. Because I've never seen in my 23 years of doing this where an acquirer comes in and says, you know what, Stacy, we're going to roll everybody up into one. We're going to increase pricing. We're going to decrease payouts because they're worried about attrition. So it's important that you're looking out and talking to firms like ours to understand what it truly means for you, because they're going to tell you all the good stuff, they're not going to tell you any of the negative stuff or how bumpy it's going to be. So good point there, Stacy. Second question I would have for you is, and we've seen it more probably over the last three years, is when an acquirer purchases a, a broker-dealer or even when they start making these changes of rolling everybody up or making whatever changes they're going to make, they start offering retention dollars um, to advisors and OSJs. And, and while that sounds great of – you know what, Stacey, I'm going to take the path of least resistant and get paid for it and don't have to do anything. Can you talk from, from your experience what it means for an advisor, what they really need to look out for when they're making the decision whether to take those retention dollars or explore their options? Yeah, I think when you're looking at um, exploring other options versus taking the retention dollars, it's, uh, I think, just as human beings, right, the psychology of us, like, it's easy to sometimes just stay put. Yep. We just stay with what we know, or we might accept the situation, pain and all, because it's something that we know, right? Versus change is harder, but at least you're in, your, in the control seat and, and you can decide what that's going to look like. So the retention dollars, I think, is a, is a chance to get you to stay where you're at, um, take some of the bumpy road that's going to come. And we know it will, uh, you know, Jeremy, you've seen it in your career. I've seen it in mine. Hey, nothing's going to change. It's going to be smooth as butter. 
And it just doesn't happen that way. I mean, think of the last technology upgrade that you face either in your personal or your, your own business, or maybe in the back office of your broker dealer. They don't all go smooth, right? So something that's this major, whether it's a consolidation or an acquisition, um, there's ripple effects. Even if you're not part of the acquisition, you're going to get impacted elsewhere. So that stay money is something that allows you to maybe stay and just kind of work through that. But maybe it's best to take things under control yourself. The change isn't just you're accepting it on someone else's terms, but you're making it on your own terms. Yeah, and I think an important question that advisors and OSJs have to ask themselves is if the acquirer is saying nothing's going to change, it's only going to get better because we have better scale, the question I would ask myself as an advisor is, well, why are you paying me if it's only going to get better? Because to me, that makes no sense. I mean, broker-dealers are in it to make money, so why are you offering retention dollars when you acquire us? And more importantly, and we've seen this a lot lately, is when a broker-dealer finds out that you're looking to leave, they offer you money. And so you, you have to ask yourself, is if things are only going to be better because of scale, why is somebody going to pay me six, seven figures to do nothing but stay where I'm at? And, and the problem with accepting that money is now you're stuck because you accepted the retention money and they typically put, tie you to three, five, seven years. And yes, you could still leave but you got to pay that money back. That's going to take away from whatever transition dollars you're getting from a new broker dealer. And, and so I think that's an important question to ask everybody in our audience is if things are only going to get better, why is somebody going to pay me to stay where it's going to get better? So great point there, Stacy. Last question for you is, and I know we preach this all the time and I know advisors in our audience always talk to clients about planning for life events death, disability, marriage, divorce, whatever it is. It still amazes me that advisors, a lot of advisors don't heed their own advice and plan for those life events or those broker-dealer events as it pertains to if you are bought or sold. Do you have a plan B? Can you talk, Stacy, a little bit to the thought of how important it is to have a plan B in place and, and why it's important? Yeah, I recall this is many years ago, um, a certain firm, you know, promising they were never going to sell, things were never going to change with their custodian. And pretty much overnight, the announcement was made, things were gone, people were on vacation, and you're trying to start very quickly to do due diligence on other firms with having nothing um, underlying to work from, it, it was really difficult. And what happened is in a short compressed timeline, um, offices were forced into making that change because they hadn't done any groundwork as far as what else is out there. And a change that they you know, shared with me later on, if I had more time, I wouldn't have done this. I would have chosen my own route to go down, but I, I just, I was forced into it because I hadn't done any of the homework. Um, on the flip side, I'd seen offices that had, you know, they felt things were changing. They felt like a consolidation was coming or a sale. And they started doing their due diligence on other broker dealers um, six months before anything happened. 
And when it did happen, they were already in motion. They felt very comfortable and confident with their decision. And this was an office that did a lot of recruiting as well. And their due diligence actually helped them on the recruiting front because they had trusted advisors within their own network that looked to them for, okay, well, you just interviewed X amount of firms. What did you find out? And instead of, you know, they could kind of piggyback off of that. And that enterprise was also able to um, do some recruiting and take advantage of the situation as well. So um, I think plan Bs are good, even if you ultimately go along with the consolidation or the sale, um, at least you know the choice is yours and you haven't been forced down a path that um, maybe wasn't of your choosing. And you bring up a great point of making sure you're taking control of the successful practice or OSJ that you've built and instead of allowing somebody else to dictate it. And I always suggest a plan B, it doesn't have to be just in case your broker dealer is acquired. It it can be make sure that you have a plan B just in case something drastic happens within that broker dealer. And to OSJs, I can't tell you enough is it's vitally important. And please don't take this wrong way. It's your responsibility to ensure that you're doing the correct amount of due diligence for not only your practice, but your advisors and their practice. Because the reality is, is that if your firm is acquired or has been acquired, if you're not communicating with your advisors and if you're not conducting the appropriate amount of due diligence, keep in mind, these these advisors are probably getting 50, 60 calls a week from different recruiters. And while the first 10 might not catch, if one of those calls is, hey, we're going to better your payout, we're going to get you better advisory pricing, we're going to get you better technology, we're going to get you a big transition check – the likelihood that your advisors are going to start depleting is vitally, it's probably going to happen. And so making sure not only are you conducting the appropriate amount of due diligence, but you're communicating to your advisors that, you know what, Stacy, I got this. You're a trusted advisor. It's my responsibility as your OSJ to make sure that we as a group are thoroughly prepared should something negative happen. And that's a hard conversation because you're afraid that too many people are going to get upset. But it's important that you have those conversations and you're conducting your appropriate amount of due diligence. And that's where I would say it's vitally important working with a team like Trusted Visions, A, because we specialize in large groups and even individual advisors. But B, you're not starting from scratch calling 100 different broker dealers to figure out if you're a good fit. Working with consultants that keep their pulse on the industry to ensure and are, can be able to tell you, hey, here's the top three, five firms that are important for you and here's why versus you're calling 100 different uh, broker dealers to find out what's a good fit. So, Stacy, I look forward to this series. It's, it's always a fun series talking about the consolidation of the industry. Well, it, it's good for the industry. There's a lot to do unpack there. So as we did last week, if you could share your contact information, should anybody want to reach out to you? And I will do the same. If you want those examples of of firms in the past that have said nothing's going to change, we have publications, we have the expertise, but Stacey, I'll let you share your contact information. Yep. It's Stacey Martin at Trusted Visions. Um, So the email again, Stacey.Martin at TrustedVisions.com. My phone number is 641-919- Six seven two two, And you can always reach out to me, 480-430-5012 or info at trustedvisions.com. Please comment on our LinkedIn page. Visit our YouTube page. If you need any advice about Montana, please feel free to reach out to me directly. Have a great week. We look forward to talking to you next week. <laughs>